Welcome to Building a Better Bond, a Fiber Bond podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Building a Better Bond. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Since the 2008 recession, there's been a resurgence of an age-old process, and that's prefabricated construction. As experienced construction professionals left the industry, budgets got tighter, and technology trends pushed AEC toward a more efficient mindset, the prefab industry was primed to take hold. But what is making this trend stick? What are the advantages to going prefab over brick and mortar? And does quality have to suffer when you go more efficient? Here to give his perspective is Sean Black, business development manager at Fiberbond. Sean, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. It's great to have you on. You know, you've been in the industry for 20 years, 20 plus years. I mean, I don't have to tell you that. You're the one who's lived it. And uh, in that time, you've managed hundreds of projects. You've taken hundreds, maybe thousands of sales calls, and you felt the industry transform. When did you first start to see prefab garner more interest? Was it around the recession when things kind of shook up in the construction industry? Or were there signs that maybe prefab was going to take hold um, even earlier than that? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think even earlier than that, and it's been a progression, really. Uh, The original mindset, when you think about conventional construction versus prefab, uh, you think of a block building or a brick building at site, and then someone comes along and says, hey, you know, we can do this in prefab in a metal building. Well, the, the first thing that goes through someone's head is they think of a little shed in the backyard that's holding a lawnmower, you know, this little bitty right. thin gauge shed. And they're, you know, they're thinking, yeah, that, that's not uh, going to go well on an industrial site. So as the years have gone, you know, have gone on and we have more people like myself out educating the industry, meeting with the engineering firms and even the end customers and showing them that, you know, we're not just talking about this little bitty shed. We're talking about a substantial building that, you know, they range on these industrial projects from a 14 to an 11 gauge uh, steel that goes in these buildings. So they're very substantial, very heavy weight. Um, you know, they've got the wind loads are 90 miles an hour, just the way that they're built naturally. Uh, another misconception is that, well, a metal building is going to leak, you know, because again, your shed in the backyard might leak. Uh, but that's, you know, that's just not true. The interlocking panel buildings, just by nature, the way they, they're built, they're very rain tight as well. So they, uh, they also do well with not leaking. And I think over the years, in um, spreading this word and people seeing that, you know, it's not the little tin building, it's actually a much more substantial building. And it's something that's very viable compared to the on-site construction. Uh, you get that mindset out of everybody's head, and then you can really start focusing on some of the advantages uh, that comes along with the uh, prefab. And so these were conversations you were having from the get-go, like when right when you started in the industry? Uh, yeah, they, they were. Um, these are, you know, conversations but you know how it is, uh, you know, the first time you, you go tell someone something, the, the paradigm doesn't change overnight. It takes time. And, you know, the longer that you're out spreading the word and, and then, you you know, you start getting word of mouth from customers who are using these, uh, you know, the buildings and that starts spreading and, and that, you know, that helps. So I really feel every year um, there's an increase in, in the people that will go with prefab over site built. Do you think there's anything that has happened recently that has, and, and by recently, I mean even just in the last five years, 
that has pushed prefab more um, into people's heads and has has made it a more viable option for business owners looking to expand or construct a new wing or just build an entirely new building for their business? I do. Um, you know, there's a few different things I think that, it, that over the last five years that are leaning us more toward the prefab. One of them is if you look at the savings and time that you have on a job site, uh, if you're doing a traditional block building, it could be, you know, it could be up to six months where you've got a crew on the, on the site working. Whereas we're doing a building, you know, in our plant. And when we ship it out, now all of a sudden you're unloading something in two days and now you've got a structure that would have taken six months to do on site that now is only taking two days. So there's a large savings in time. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's time, sometimes it's time, sometimes it's money. But a lot of times, no matter how much money you have, you can't, you know, you, you can't replace time. Uh, so that time savings, I think, has really driven, driven us to where we are. And if you look at the... Um, at our industry, just the construction industry, uh, another trend that you'll see now as well is there There are so many jobs out there where we just don't have the trained people. You don't have enough electricians and enough welders and all these people out on sites to execute these large projects. So being able to take that scope away from the site is really uh, a nice time savings there. And uh, it can, you know, help bring the project in on time or even earlier, uh, you know, as far as that goes. So let's look at the effect that this trend towards prefab has had on the businesses in manufacturing themselves. Um, have you felt that this has affected business in general in construction and manufacturing? Has it tipped the scales for which companies are getting business based on if they offer prefab solutions? Uh, yeah, I think it has. Um, you know, it's like, you know, like I said, the, the time, a lot of time is really a big driver in this. Um, the, the money goes away a lot of time. Of course, money is always important. But when you start looking at, you know, a construction company that, you know, maybe they're so taxed at the site that they, you know, they just can't get the whole job done. And I think is what that's done is that's really brought us in. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. The construction um, workers are still there. They're still winning projects. But is what it's doing is it's taking some of the scope away from them and, you know, giving that to us, which, you know, frees them up at site and allows them to work on, you know, a lot of the other stuff that they need to be getting done because, you know, they're in the middle of doing something and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, this building arrives and, you know, they can they can pull off and, uh, you know, unload this in a couple of days. Whereas if they were building the whole building on site, they're going to have to pull off, you know, for six months and, and take people there. So, you know, the construction workers are still getting, you know, their, their piece of the pie, you know, they're the guys that are working, but it's, uh, I think it's, it's helped them. And I think if you talk to some of the construction companies, I think they would really be a proponent as well for the uh, prefab just because of the time savings that it offers them at the site also. And so the fact that it sounds like prefab or, I mean, just in, in essence, is a, a faster build than building from scratch on site. Um, obviously, that means that the professionals are going to be on site for uh, a, a smaller amount of time. Does that mean that they're now able to take on more projects? Um, or do you maybe see some um, unexpected resistance maybe from the construction workers because they are getting less time on site, maybe getting 
uh, not paid less, but, you know, not spending as much time on the project and therefore not getting, um, you know, their hours clocked in for that project. Is is there any sort of resistance there? Or are they are they excited to be able to then move on to the next project and, and that brings in more revenue? Yeah, you know, I think you uh, I think you could see both ways. I think if you've got a contractor who has worked with the prefab and they understand what's involved, I think they would be a proponent for it because of the time savings. Um, if you've got a contractor who maybe hasn't worked with it and they're not familiar with it, I could, I could see them feeling like, well, you know, hey, Fiberbond's taking some of our scope. Uh, you know, maybe this building is not in our scope, so, you know, we're not making as much on the project or, or like you said, uh, you know, we're finished with this project quicker and, and have to move on. So I think you can, you know, I think that's kind of both ways. And I think that really depends on the contractor and their experience. And, you know, so, you know, what that, you know, tells someone like me in my position is it's valuable to get out there and visit those contractors. You know, perhaps the contractor is not buying the building. Uh, so, you know, an order is not coming from them, but it's still valuable to to spend that time with them, to educate them so that there's not that feeling. And, uh, you know, maybe they don't push back on the engineering firm or the end customer. Maybe they're more receptive to, yeah, you know, do the prefab building. That's actually going to save us time and it's actually going to make the project go smoother. So, that's a uh, that's a good place for someone in my position to get out and visit those contractors and, and try to spread that word. Yeah, I mean, education is, I think, a big piece of this pie um, for prefab to succeed because for the professionals in the industry, like you said, the contractors to feel good about this transition towards prefab, I think they need to approach those projects like you said, from a mindset of, hey, this is actually going to allow us to do more projects. We should be seeking out more prefab projects because we can get more in and, you know, still still get paid the same. It's not like they're going to be doing less work, um, but they get to pump out more projects instead of the other way around where they're spending, like you said, maybe six months on one project. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that does have to do with the education. So let's look at the advantages of going prefab. Uh, you know, I think this is an important piece to talk about, especially if you're trying to educate the people within the industry of why prefab projects went out or why they're catching on. And then also when you're having these conversations with your uh, your clients and uh, the people that are actually going to be using these buildings, um, you know, why why go prefab? So what are those advantages? And are you seeing it really change the construction process and conversation from inception of a project to that final build. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and you know, honestly, Daniel, that's probably one of the uh, that's probably the biggest question I get as I'm out talking to customers. And there's there you know, you know there's quite a few different advantages, but there's three that I really like to point to, and the reason that I point to these three is because there is potential cost savings there, but there's a large dose of risk mitigation. And I think that's very important. So the first one that I like to talk about is uh, inclement weather. And, and I'll back up before I get into these. I used to be an electrician. I was an electrician for eight years. So all of these three things that I'm going to talk about are real. I've dealt with them and I've seen them in the field. Uh, when it comes to inclement weather, you know, if you don't have a building dried in yet and it's raining, you know how these rain, these um, spring and summer rainstorms come in. If the building's not dried in, you know, you're not going to be out there working in the rain and you can lose a lot of time. 
I mean, you can lose, you can easily lose, you know, two weeks of time and then you've got a muddy site, you've got this mess, uh, just all kinds of stuff to deal with. Well, it's hard to put a cost on that because if you lose two weeks of time, are you going to have to pay overtime for two weeks to catch back up? Uh, you probably don't have that in the job. If not, are you going to, is the, is the schedule so tight that perhaps you can't even work overtime to catch up? So now you're looking at the project, maybe coming in late. Um, so that's something that you have to deal with when you're at the site. For us at Fiberbomb, we're working indoors all the time. It doesn't matter if it's raining. We're not losing any time. So that's not, uh, you know, we're not going to be having to charge overtime that we didn't plan on. And we're also not going to be running over on the project because, you know, we're not slowed down for that. So think inclement, inclement weather is a big one. The next one is gear. And this was a really interesting one that I don't think a lot of people think about. Uh, our large buildings house a lot of switch gear, uh, you know, switch gear, motor controls, a lot of very expensive, very heavy gear. When I used to be an electrician, you'd be working on a random Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., and a big truck would pull in and they would say, hey, you know, where are the electricians? We got this gear here. Now, if you've got a good project manager, maybe you had, had a heads up. Yeah, that was 50-50. You never know there. But now all of a sudden you're faced with, I've got this whole truck of switch gear. First of all, how am I going to unload it? Um, you know, the typical uh, equipment for electricians is not a forklift. I mean, it's just something you don't use a lot. So now you're running around the site, you're trying to find a way, let's unload this gear. Once you get it unloaded, now you've got to store it somewhere. Well, again, you know, this switch gear is very expensive. Uh, you know, if it's damaged, now you've got to worry about the cost for that. You've got to worry about it have, to have a place to store it. And it seems like it never failed. If we dedicated a room to store our gear, it'd be a week later somebody needed to get in there and work. Uh, so now you're shuffling around again. So again, how do you put a cost on replacing damaged switch gear? How do you put a cost on having room to store the switch gear and be able to move it around? Um, and then if you look, you know, another thing that you don't think about switch gear could be a, a long lead item. So if it gets damaged, again, the cost may not be the major issue. It may be being able to get another piece of gear in time to get your project up and going. So this was always an issue at the site, and at Fiberbond, we've got, you know, large warehouses that all we do is use them to store switch gear. We've got people, that's all, well, not just switch gear, but all gear. We've got people, their job is to unload the gear, so they've got the equipment. They're working with this every day. It's climate controlled. It's got 24-hour security surveillance, so it's safe. We know where it is. We scan it into our system when it comes in, and we take it in as, as if it's our own gear. Um, so again, that's another advantage that's hard to put a cost on. Um, it, it, there's just no way to put that cost on. And then the last one I'm going to point to, and perhaps the most important, I know this is the most important in my book, is safety. Because, you know, look, when we leave the house every day, the most important thing is that we get back home to our family, um, no matter what. So, here, you know, here's a real interesting one. What we talked about as an example Building a building on site, maybe it takes six months to do on site. Maybe our building comes in and only takes two days. Well, it doesn't take much to figure out the longer someone is there on a job site, the greater risk there is of somebody getting hurt. It's just, you know, it's just the way it is. Plus, the more people you have there, you have all these different trades there instead of just a crew unloading a building. So you've got to start thinking about that. People getting hurt. Now you've got time lost. How do you put a price on that? How do you put a price, you know, does that affect your project 
um, being late as well, if you have injuries. And how do you put a price on the reputation? You know, safety now, uh, you know, you mentioned trends in the last five years. Safety has become a really big trend, and as it should. It's the most important. And uh, you start getting a reputation out there that you're having people getting hurt on your site. It's, it's not good. It's not good at all. So when you look at those three things, you know, maybe none of those three things happen. Maybe your job goes perfect. Perhaps all three of them happen. But either way, you can't put a price on those. And we can mitigate that risk on all three of those issues by doing prefabs. So the reason I pointed to those is because they're kind of outside the box and they're not the ones that people think about when you start thinking about prefabricated buildings. Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad you brought up the safety one. Um, I think it's pretty uh, self-explanatory. Obviously, like you said, the longer you've got a professional on site, uh, the greater there is a risk that they might get hurt. Um, what about the actual process of constructing a prefab building is literally safer than um, building something on site? You know, for starters, like we said, the longer you're there, the better chance you have to get hurt. Um, when you're looking at a large job site, it's, you know, you've got usually a superintendent running this job site. And on these large projects, it's it's hard to have eyes and ears everywhere, right? I mean, you know, you got this huge plant, you know, you're you're at one side of the plant looking at something. You can't really see what's going on on the other side of the plant. Um, of course, you have OSHA. You know, OSHA can uh, make a guest appearance. But I'll be honest with you, I was an electrician for eight years out in the field, and I cannot recall one time OSHA coming up on my project. So uh, maybe they do on some of the larger ones, but, you know, so... Who do you have there watching the people to make sure that they're working safe? Um, in our plant, you know, you've got this plant, you've got supervisors walking around everywhere, you've got project managers, and we also have a, it escapes to what we call it, but we've got a right by every employee that they can stop a project at any time if they see something that's going unsafe. Um, it's it, it, as easy as something is not having your hearing protection in, or having your your um, your safety glasses on, they can shut something down. They can stop it if they say anything unsafe, and it's a um, it's a project. I don't I don't want to say you're rewarded for reporting something necessarily, but it's um, it's thought very highly of that you know you care enough about your your employee, you know your fellow employees, the company to bring it up. So we've got eyes and ears, you know, on everyone watching that. And I can tell you from my experience on a job site, you know, it, it doesn't happen. I mean, I've seen guys standing on top of ladders, one-footed, you know, <laughs> right. um, you know, putting ladders in the back of trucks and standing on them. So, you know, lots of, of you know, unsafe acts. And I think having our, our plant and all the people that we have there and having everyone having an eye out for everyone else, I think that really helps reduce the, uh, the injuries as well. And then what about safety for the end user? Uh, because I, you know, I think a lot of naysayers or people unfamiliar with prefab may say that pre-constructed buildings are going to be less reliable, more prone to failure, more prone to, to you know, being destroyed by natural disasters. I mean, it, and that's, that's a uh, kind of an, an extreme, but still, it's something that I've, I've heard people say. Um, does going prefab actually do the opposite for the end user as much as it does improve safety for the uh, person on site as well? No, I, I wouldn't think that it does. Um, I haven't really, in my years, I've never seen an example 
um, that would, you know, that would say that it does. Um, you know, if you ever walk into one of these buildings, you know, it's funny when I do presentations and, you know, I show people picture, pictures and talk to them. I say, you know, th this is one thing, but actually coming into the plant and seeing a building, putting your hand on the building, feeling how substantial they are. It's a, uh, it's a whole different experience. And, you know, you, and again, you have to go back to that perception when someone says metal building, we all think of the little shed in the backyard. Um, you can't help it. If you've never been in one, that's all you know. So, you know, naturally that's what you would think. But these buildings, they're, they're so substantial. They're so heavy. You know, they've got steel beams uh, for the bases. Um, I've seen steel beams that were 38 inches tall. I mean, you know, you're talking about stuff that's um, maybe used on a small bridge um, as far as the thickness of it. Uh, so, so very heavy duty, substantial buildings, the way that they're built naturally, when you start looking at natural disasters, um, the standard is a 90 mile an hour per wind load. And we can go uh, much higher than that. I think I've seen around it's 190 or 200. I've seen uh, wind loads for buildings that had to be rated for cyclones, um, to withstand cyclones. Um, I think one of the funniest stories I had was customer asked, you know, called me one time and asked me if we had a tornado rated building. And, uh, you know, I kind of laughed, you know, and I said, well, what's a tornado rated building? Are you, are you looking for a wind load? Or are you looking for a building that can stop a cow flying through the right, air? I mean, right. You know, how, yeah, you know, a Volkswagen. I mean, how do you, uh, you know, put something on that? Cause it's unknown. But since I did mention that, uh, we'll, you know, touch on uh, another thing. We do concrete buildings as well. And we do have a, we had a telecom building that was, in the Joplin, Missouri tornado, uh, I guess it's been nine, eight, nine years ago now. And uh, we have a picture, very powerful picture. And it shows the Home Depot and the school and everything had been leveled. You just had all this rubble. And there's one of our concrete buildings standing there uh, unharmed. The, uh, yeah, the HVAC that was on it was still there and intact. There was some wires, external wires that had been connected. They got ripped out. But when they hooked all that back up, uh, everything worked right back like it was supposed to, you know, no damage at all. So that one's a really, you know, a powerful picture. If you start thinking about something, you know, um, uh, you know, quote, tornado buildings. I mean, um, so, you know, these modular buildings, whether they're, they're concrete or steel, they're just so much more durable and heavy duty than people realize. So, um, yeah, as far as, the, you know, the, the safety for the, uh, you know, the end customer, I just, uh, I don't see anywhere where you're losing that at all with just the uh, type of construction. Yeah. If anything, it's at least equitable, if not better, to go prefab than, you yeah. know, compared to its uh, alternatives. And I feel like this trend that's leaning towards more prefabricated construction is also playing into a larger trend in construction and manufacturing of going green. Are you seeing any sort of connection between the two, one playing into the other? You know, I think uh, I think that's a similar answer to the, you know, kind of the response we had for safety. Um, when you start looking at green, uh, this is driven for energy consumption. And the, uh, the building itself, uh, you know, whether it's a block or a steel building, I don't think that affects that as much. Um, you're, you're talking about the HVAC, the lighting, um, all the different components in the building that are using power. Uh, really is is what's going to affect the uh, green and, and not using as much energy. So we uh, one thing that I, I will say on that from a, from a prefab standpoint is that 
all the states are different. They all have different requirements, state certifications, which we have to adhere to for all of the states. Um, you know, if you look at California, uh, when, it, when you talk about green because of energy efficiency, they are more uh, one of the more stringent ones. Uh, you know, so we have to have special HVAC. There's different things to do with the lighting uh, to adhere to that. So we, we do adhere to all that. Um, but, you know, honestly, that's something that a, uh, a block built, built on site would, you know, have to adhere to as well. So I think it just the, the construction of the two buildings, I, I don't know if there's a, a big difference there or not to answer that question. So other than safety and the fact that these buildings get constructed considerably faster, what other effects does going prefab have on the businesses or the organizations that are looking to build these spaces, you know, basically the clients of yours, does it affect their bottom line, their lead certification? Are there any incentives beyond just the, the increased speed of construction? Yeah, I, I don't think there's uh, that I, the only incentive that I would, that I could maybe speak of, and um, it's, it, I don't want to say it's a gray area. Uh, I'm not an accountant, so I don't know all the particulars there. But uh, one advantage is that a prefabricated building, when you look at tax purposes, is classified as equipment. Whereas, yeah, because you can move it around, uh, you know, once you put it in, in place, it can be uh, unhooked and moved around. Where, a, you know, a block building on site, you don't have that same luxury. Well, you know, where you build it, it's where you build it. So with these buildings being classified as equipment, the depreciation on them, they depreciate like equipment, which is seven years, whereas a permanent building depreciates, um, it's in the neighborhood of 39 years. Yeah. So if you're an accountant, you know, you can depreciate that building much quicker, which, you know, helps on your bottom line for taxes every year. So that's one advantage. And, you know, while I was just saying that, I thought of another one because this just happened this week. Um, there's a... Um, there's a project that we're working on and some of the permitting for this project, not on the building side, um, you know, cause we're looking to do some lots of prefab buildings, but on some of the, uh, the permanent building, some of the permitting um, has moved out and they're saying it's going to take like up to six months to get this permitting done. Now, when you start looking at permanent stuff, but when you look at a modular building, again, a prefab building like we're talking about that's classified as equipment, you don't have to have that same permitting. So there can actually be a time savings as well in the uh, permitting process compared to building one block on site and one that's modular. So that can, um, that can be a savings also, uh, one that you don't think about. Yeah, those those kind of little, I mean, loophole maybe is the wrong word, but but workarounds on terminology and how that affects um, how that affects your financial back end is all all very interesting. And you know, if if the considerable speed of construction wasn't enough of an incentive, um, those might be you know the extra icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, there, you know, and also, Daniel, I think there's, you know, it's funny, too, because, you know, another question that you can imagine I get a lot is, you know, well, you know, what's the price? What's the, the cost savings between going modular and um, prefab and, and actually do it, building one at the site? 
Um, you know, I, I get that one all the time. And again, that's, that's a hard question to answer because here's what happens. An engineering firm has that question. So they send us a budgetary quote, do, do a prefab building, and then they send a contractor a budgetary quote to do a concrete building or a, or a block building on site. Well, the first problem with that is when you say budgetary, that's different to everybody. Um, maybe I mark it up 20% over what I usually do because it's budget. Maybe someone else quotes it at their normal price because they want to look more attractive. Um, so right away, you get these two prices that, you know, are not equal because, you know, everybody's looking at stuff differently. And, you know, maybe they make a decision on that. But the problem with that is, is that they don't look deeper. They don't look at the stuff like we talked about earlier with, with the inclement weather, the time loss, the gear damage, the safety, they don't look at that kind of stuff and, and factor that in. They're looking at a front end price and they're not looking at a price by the end of the project where you've had inclement weather, you've had to work overtime, you've had to, you know, replace some damaged gear, you've had some, you know, some people hurt. They don't look at all that when they, when they roll up the cost. So, I really feel like on the majority of the projects, it's going to be a lot less expensive to go to prefab. I mean, yeah, sure. Maybe your project runs perfect and you don't have any of those things happen. I mean, I'm, I'm hard to believe, but, um, you know, but maybe it does happen. But um, I think that's a lot of times where, where people fail or in customers or engineering firms fail is to look at that complete project. Instead of looking at this upfront cost, look at the end cost. Um, and I think if, if there was more of that done, I think they would realize that prefab is is definitely a call savings in the end. So I think to wrap things up, it'd be great to get some context from you as a professional on a prefab project that you've worked on that really shows off all of these different aspects of why you're saying prefab is a, a better alternative. Uh, the fact that it's faster, it's safer, um, there are cost savings. Um, what is an example of a project you've worked on that really encompasses all of this? Yeah, they, uh, we worked on a, did a project for Duke Energy. And on this particular site, it was a, a nuclear, you had nu nuclear power. And then off to the side feeding this site, you had a little um, water treatment plant that would, you know, clean and feed water into this nuclear site. So we did a project for the, for the water side. Even though it wasn't necessarily on a nuclear site, you still had to adhere to all the nuclear rules. And if you're in this industry and you hear the word nuclear, you know right away it changes the game. Everything's, everything's different. Everything's more expensive. Everything's more complicated. It's a game changer. So I was doing a lunch and learn for an engineering firm. They were doing the engineering for this Duke Energy project. And they were like, wow. Uh, when I showed them the concrete, this one uh, actually was a, a concrete prefab building instead of steel. But when I showed them the capabilities with these concrete buildings, he's, you know, the guys pulled me aside and said, look, I've got the perfect project, this Duke Energy project, and I, I want to get you in touch with them. And the things that he pointed to that grabbed his eye and made it more interesting was, first of all, if you look at cost, these guys that are working on these, you know, these nuclear projects, they're making so much more money. Um, we had a controlled uh, employee rate for labor in Minden, Louisiana, where we're at, and it's a lot less expensive. So he, you know, he said right off the bat, he said, without getting, even getting into this, 
this is going to be a substantial cost savings. So that was the first one. The next one was the safety. You know, we talked about safety earlier. You want to really get a good dose of safety training, go, go work on a nuclear site. Um, very, very um, stringent, as it should be. Um, so there again, are you going to have to train all these different trades to come on site and do this building for months? Or are you going to have a modular building show up, be unloaded in two days, and only have to train a few people that are actually right. going to be unloading this? So you had the um, you had the cost savings, you had the safety, and also it was a uh, a time savings as well because again, uh, their goal was to have the least amount of people on the site working uh, from a, a safety standpoint, being nuclear. And that reduced the, um, you know, the, the time, how long they would have to be there. So when you look at cost time and, and safety, it was, uh, it was kind of a no-brainer. And from the time that they connected us with Duke Energy to the time that we delivered the project, they were, they were all in. I mean, they just loved the concept. It was something that uh, this particular plant hadn't really seen. So they were excited about it, and uh, it went off well. It's uh, everything's been delivered and installed, and um, it was a, it was a good project. But it's one that kind of uh, touched on all of our examples here. That's why I like using that one. And what was the response from Duke Energy on that project? Did they walk away from it feeling uh, like they made the right decision? Like going prefab was the right choice for them? You know, what, what kind of feedback did you hear? Yeah, yeah, they did. They were uh, they were very happy with it. Um, you know, said that if they've got other projects coming up, you know, they will definitely be in touch, um, you know, whether it be steel or concrete. So I think that we've we've definitely gained a customer. Uh, you know, we've already uh, had a pretty good reputation with Duke Energy anyway. Um, this was a new plant, um, kind of a new application being the concrete. And, you know, it helped um, help with that reputation. Plus, you know, these plants talk, you know, they, they talk to one another. They talk to the to the construction people, you know, and the engineering at the other plants and the safety people. And so that way, you know, that word spreads uh, throughout Duke Energy. So it was uh, definitely a good project for us. Well, Sean, I feel like we've gotten a great look at the growth of the prefabricated construction industry and why it seems to be taking hold and how it's affecting both professionals in the industry and the end users. Uh, so I'd like to thank you for joining us on the podcast and giving us your insight. Um, just to get one last thought in here, uh, where do you see prefabricated construction continuing to grow? You know, are, are there any markets or any kinds of buildings that um, you think will begin to benefit from this increased speed and cost savings that prefabricated construction brings to the table? Yeah, you know, our, our traditional industries are usually the big ones are power gen and oil and gas. But we've seen, uh, you know, over the last several years, a big trend in solar projects when solar was, uh, you know, going crazy like it was seven or eight years ago. And now even, uh, you know, with data center stuff. Um, so I think it's the traditional uh, industries that are always going to be there. But I think as these new industries emerge and you see different opportunities and, you know, like I say, it's there, you know, the word is spread so much now that, you know, when you, these new industries start up, they, um, it's already kind of out there. They already know about it. So 
um, in a lot of cases, they're seeking us, you know, hey, we want to see what you can do, which is, uh, which is nice when there's someone knocking on your door and you're not the one, uh, you know, having to knock on their door. So, um, yeah, so I, I think we'll, con- you know, continue to see it grow into, you know, different markets. And, you know, what those markets are, you know, who knows, because uh, who knows five years from now what, you know, some of the markets are going to be, what the hot market will be. So it's uh, definitely interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's ever evolving. Yes, it is. Well, again, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Again, we were speaking with Sean Black, Business Development Manager at FiberBond. Looking forward to getting you back on the podcast soon, Sean. Sounds great, Daniel. Thanks again for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Building a Better Bond. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to FiberBond.com slash podcasts, or you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.